friends, welcome back to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. This podcast series furthers our mission to support our community as we seek to promote the advancement of women in the securities finance marketplace. We hope you leave today with a broader perspective or ideas about ways to further your network and career. Or perhaps a deeper education on important business changes in our marketplace. Now let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. It's MJ Schussler from BMO Capital Markets and one of the co-chapters leads of the Toronto Women in Securities Finance Group. I've got two special people with me today. My co-lead, Roanna Kim from RBC, and then Steve Everett. And I'll let Steve introduce himself because he's got lots of interesting experience that he's going to share today. And we're going to talk a little bit about market infrastructure and the ever so popular T plus one predicament we're all in. Thanks so much for the introduction, MJ and Ro. Really great to be here. And yeah, just by way of introduction, by the accent, you can certainly see I'm not originally from Canada, but have been here since 2019. It's been a fantastic experience so far. Yeah, I started in consulting and banking. And in consulting, I started off at the exchange and I thought, oh, well, you know, this was a nice gig. I'm sure I'm not going to do too much of that. I'll probably go into banking. And little did I know, in April 2008, when I opened the newspaper and read about Bear Stearns, I would be living in the exchange in post-trade world ever since. And it's a good segue because really what was amazing to see at that point across the world and in the South African market that I was part of was really how do we, you know, as post-trade infrastructure really improve risk management, but also the customer experience on everything that we're doing. And this became a real core theme for me. And I've been very fortunate enough to be involved in a lot of industry-wide projects. You know, the ones we have to do, the market and regulatory ones, but also the ones we get to do. The ones that really move the needle and make markets more competitive and attractive. And certainly that's a key role for post-trade infrastructure to play. And I've been very fortunate enough to have worked with multiple partners through the years, predominantly with Deutsche Borsa in the South African market, where we implemented tripartite collateral. And I'm pleased to say with the same partner, are doing the same within the Canadian market in the next two and a half months. That's been my experience. And yeah, I'm currently heading up digital innovation and head of strategy for post-trade at TMX. And just on that market competitive standpoint for Canada specific, I mean, what surprised you the most in terms of what was here when you got here and what TMX and Canada lacked, comparatively speaking? I think the Canadian market's the biggest, smallest market in the world. Whenever we speak to Canadians, you know, they always talk about being a small market, but it's actually really big in terms of value. It may be small in terms of number of players. So it's actually a big, small market, if I can call it that. And that was, to me, the biggest surprise, particularly in securities lending. 10% of open values by internationally are actually are in the Canadian market, which is pretty substantial when you think of just one domestic region being able to do that. So that was a huge takeaway. The other one was innovation. Um, so how innovative certain pockets of the market have been, despite, for example, market initiatives. When I think of the rise of various initiatives, even something like an Equiland, how it started off here in Canada is great. And it's a great testament to the market and the industry as a whole to want to move forward and really improve the experience, reduce the risk and make the Canadian market more attractive. So Steve, how did you go from a South African market and knowing in that region to moving and deciding to come to Toronto, the largest, smallest market? <laughs> I mean, what drew you to us and what surprised you to the most when you got here? 
So I would often, at least once a year, sit across the table in international conferences or forums with my counterparts in the Canadian market, and they would be hearing a lot about what I was implementing or doing. And at some point, the discussion turned to, well, you know, it would be great if we could do some of this in Canada. And that was really the genesis of replicating some of the stuff that I'd already been doing, but not only that, also some net new things. And certainly I'm very active in a bunch of those net news here in the Canadian market, which include digital and some other exciting things. And I think it's testament again to the innovative position of the market that there is an open reception to this, that we can bring new ideas across and there's a very collaborative spirit to working together on new things. And that's certainly been my experience. And it's been great, especially to come pretty new and have the market be that receptive has been fantastic. I guess the Toronto market doesn't have a long, rich history like others do. And it's kind of nice to know that it has been quite receptive and that they are open to you know your expertise and coming in and, like you say, replicating it or just even testing out that model to see if it works in our industry. So it's actually quite positive. Yeah. And the net news, I think, are very exciting for the Canadian market. A little bit later, I'd be able to touch on the Canadian Collateral Management Service. There's a bunch of stuff that we're doing around T plus one, but there's a lot of net news, even in the digital space that Canada is going to, I think, be able to, you know, within 12 to 18 months, be a leader in not just replicating or adjusting for this market, but leading in many of these cases. Yeah, I was going to ask about that too, in terms of where Canada stands and sort of specifically versus the U.S. market, kind of structurally how their biggest differences and how far either behind or where we could gain an advantage or get ahead. Yeah, so the U.S. market's an anomaly. So from a Canadian market perspective, we look a lot closer to other markets, whether it be UK, European, Australian, South African, where typically you would have a depository structure, one or multiple exchanges, obviously a central bank is key. The US is a little bit different. And so the US, you've got DTC and Boney that play really their core market infrastructure role with the Fed. Whereas here in Canada, we look a lot more similar to those other Commonwealth type countries where it's a depository that domiciles fixed income and equities, not necessarily splitting those two up and then having particularly large banks being key participants in the market. Whereas the US, of course, got thousands of banks. There are, of course, overweight big players in that market, but the sheer scale of what we're dealing with in the US, the amount of service providers is, I think, unique to anything else in the world. So I would always compare us from a Canadian perspective more with other markets in UK, Europe, and others. I think we look a lot closer to them than we do to the US. Interesting. So why don't we shift a little bit and talk a little bit about the future. And if you could pick two key things, I think you've alluded to a bunch of stuff that you're wanting to bring to market here. What do you see as say two or three top things going forward that is key to the market here? Yeah, I think practically speaking, when we look at the size of the securities lending market, just north of 250 yards from a notional value, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, well, are there any capital benefits? So in future, however long that may take, you know, whether that be a discussion around a CCP in future, I think would be very interesting. The next piece, of course, is the one I've been working on for a couple of years here is the Canadian Collateral Management Service. 
This is really looking at creating efficient mobility rails for collateral, unlimited substitution across the market, whether it be a repo, securities lending trade, a CCP margining. We have a number of very exciting initiatives that are coming through quite quickly. The CCMS launches in a couple of months, which is super exciting. And we have a cleared product from CDCC that is also leveraging the CCMS coming towards the end of the year. And this is really filling the hole or plugging the hole as far as bankers' acceptances go. So it's great to see two key pieces of innovation that really speak to a market problem. But the other one, you know, really letting us move beyond what we can currently do. So for example, really seeing GC trading become more of a reality, ultimately brings more players into the market, more ability to effectively create liquidity hubs than what we currently do today. And by bringing those two elements together, more players participating, for example, in the repo market and liquidity, more buy side, this starts to create a very compelling liquid environment, which again, just makes the market more and more attractive. And that's just a few. There are some digital stuff that we're dealing with. There's T plus one things, which we'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, it's, it's always difficult to keep it to three or four. I think it's about 12 I could go through. <laughs> All right. These ones everyone... won't get me in trouble. Okay. <laughs> You'll have to come to Kasla in May yeah. if you want to hear more. Yes. Uh, all right. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> okay. So let's Sorry. talk about T plus one. Just because I think a lot of our listeners probably want to hear about that. It's a huge topic for everybody. I know you guys have done quite a bit of work in terms of a survey, maybe a little bit about the results of that in terms of the market's preparation. So I think you had quite a bit of focus on that as well. Yeah. So in kind of mid last year, we had done some work with the value exchange and had agreed to partner with the DTCC, the CCMA, FME to really understand what the impact of T plus one would be on the market. And I think one of the biggest challenges with T plus one is it is completely different from T plus three to T plus two. T plus three to T plus two was really a compression. So if we had a task that took from A to B a couple of minutes, it was more about compressing the same task without too much change in the process. T plus one changed things quite a bit because it meant thinking more about a T plus zero like environment and slowing it down for T plus one. So it represented a completely different equation. So we started some of this work with the value exchange to really understand where would the highest impact points be and what are the things that we'd need to be aware of. And it came out at a really great time. This came out a couple of weeks before the announcement from the SEC to move the timeline up. Originally, we'd been thinking that it would come out around the fall and the settled date, of course, is the 28th of May. So Canada is going live a day before the US on the 27th. And some of the key findings that we discovered was that the challenge for T plus one is really going to start at the middle office. And then, of course, leading into settlement, the ability to be able to have assets at the right time, at the right cutoff time in order to settle. What leads on from that is our ability to manage fails. And the securities lending market in both of these aspects are going to play such a key role in being able to facilitate this, particularly in the short to medium term. And securities lending itself has come up as a challenging area, particularly around recalls, the ability to instinctively or auto borrow trades that potentially are going to be failing. And then there's some peripheral challenges. Of course, FX is a major one. Because moving on a T plus one basis, often FX is on a T plus two basis, particularly when it's coming from 
outside of North America, these on a fulsome perspective start really showing us that there's going to be a pressure cooker between that funding, settlement, fails, and securities lending paradigm. That's really where we see the biggest impact that's going to come for T plus one, particularly within our context. And so on that paradigm, how do you feel from what you've seen, that body of work, the cooperation, is it happening? I mean, from my lens, there's a lot of conversations, a lot of committees, there's a lot of building that we need to do. And you're right, mid-office is definitely a place it needs to start. From your lens, how are you seeing that body of work develop? Really well. I think that when we did the survey, around 40% of respondents hadn't looked at the impact of T plus one. Once that SEC announcement came, it definitely seemed to accelerate. And we've seen that around the market as well. We've seen a lot of interest, a lot of great discussions starting to take place. And again, credit to the Canadian market, just that ability to go, we're all going in the same direction. Let's work together and deliver a solution. I think some of the interesting results we have seen from the survey is the effect of T plus one on, for example, securities lending and fails. And this is always subjective because we have to determine who's answering it and the lens that they're responding. But certainly in the short to medium term, definitely seeing an increase in securities lending activity to plug a lot of these holes and increase in the fails rate. So I think those two things go hand in hand when there's a lot of pressure in that paradigm that we spoke about. It makes sense that securities lending is going to get a lot more involved, particularly short and medium term, while the market kind of adjusts to the reality of a T plus one world. So, Stu, diving deeper into the survey results, are there any particular stats that you'd like to highlight for the audience or for us that you might find valuable to take away? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones, the biggest issues that kind of stand out is the readiness for what we'd consider tier two, tier three, tier four institutions. There does seem to be certainly much less readiness for T plus one on that basis than, for example, the tier one banks, as an example. And this is an interesting thing because we always think about ecosystems. So from a post-trade perspective, it's how does everything start from the allocation of a trade all the way through to settlement, which could include securities lending, recalls, borrows. So we're interested in the whole process, of course. And if any part of that chain is delayed or hampered in any way, that's where certainly we start to worry about things like fails and settlement management. That's really where we're seeing a lot of collaboration since the announcements come through. One that I think is really important to note is the abilities for brokers to allocate on T0 is going to be super important. Certainly, we've seen solutions out of the US with DTC, and something similar to that is what we're busy exploring within the Canadian market that'll allow a seamless transition into those allocations on T0 to meet the cutoff times. I think that's one big risk. Again, if something like that gets delayed, it has a knock-on effect on everything downstream. And that's where that impact to the middle office comes, settlement, fails management, and securities lending. So the more we can sort of fix upstream, the better we see that process proceeding. But yeah, so that was really interesting. I think one of the other things we started to see was really the different perspectives where we had some, particularly on the bar side and the results thinking that funding, because it's one day less, that funding requirements are going to be substantially less than what they are today. Whereas from the sell side, we actually saw that it's only going to be marginally less than what it is today. So another thing we had to do in the survey was then really kind of filter as to who's answering what and where we think the real answer lies. So yeah, we're going to have to do an update to that a bit later in the year and see what the true result is. But certainly that's where the biggest challenge lies is in that whole value chain 
of making sure that we can manage everything across all of the ecosystem and the participants. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, that the differences between the buy side and the sell side when it comes to their readiness or what they see as the most material impacts. Was there any other huge differences between the two sides when it came to answers on the survey? Yeah, I think one of the things we saw was funding was certainly one and investors more on the buy side believing the impact on netting could be potentially lower by around 30% with the brokers and custodians thinking it's actually going to be marginally better. So this is more speaking to the benefits. Long term, investors saw quite a significant reduction, for example, in securities lending where brokers and custodians think it's going to be a little bit more or marginally less. And I think those were the big ones, the funding and margining requirements from the BASA perspective. Again, they're seeing quite a big potential reduction, whereas we can see from a broker perspective and a custodian perspective that that's only going to be marginal. So I guess we're going to have to see how it plays out, but there's definitely two completely different perspectives in what we're seeing today. But this again has to be, there's a caveat around this, that 40% of that investor community hadn't started looking at T plus one when the survey had gone out. So that's the filter that we've got to look at for it to really make sense. The other one was, I think the trade fail rate that we saw the investors think that that's really going to reduce by even up to 40%. I don't think that that's probably realistic, particularly short and medium term. I think we'll probably see it go up a little bit. And then as the market normalizes, hopefully it'll reduce. It's interesting. You said earlier, just putting into perspective, the move from T3 to T2 is more of a compression of time where this is really going to T1 is a journey towards T0. So it's completely different. And I would imagine a lot of the things that people think to expect may not actually happen because we've just never been there before. So I wonder about any of the tools that you've seen coming to market to address the T plus one, which really in turn in the long run is to address how to get to T0. Is there anything special or unique that you've seen come out? Yeah. So I think that it's cool to maybe start on the broker allocation or the buy side allocations. The ability to match on T0 anyway from allocations is going to be really important. I think we've identified even at a CCMA level that this is a gap that we would need to cover. So from a TMX perspective, we're actively investigating this with the market right now. So that's really important because if that is continually missing a deadline, it just has a knock-on impact onto the rest of the process. The next ones that we're looking at in securities lending specifically is to automate the recalls process. The recalls process right now is pretty manual in nature and leveraging the ability that we have certainly in post-trade and being able to track loans and borrows, much like we see our counterparts do south of the border, is something that we'd like to introduce here. That's, of course, really important because the ability to recall in time for a cutoff so that something can settle is crucial. Again, it's the knock-on effect of us getting all of these things working in concert together. And one of the other interesting ones that we're investigating is the potential for something like an auto-borrow type facility, where we can start flagging things a little bit early if they're going to potentially be failing, the ability to be able to auto-borrow them so that they can be back in the settlement account in time for settlement. So these solve different elements. Of course, I've mentioned others like FX is going to be a big challenge that needs to be overcome, that's going to play a crucial role. But certainly nothing like a bit of pressure to get everyone working together and May certainly represents a bit of pressure. It's focused everyone's minds. 
so these are the key ones that we're really looking at. Of course, the CCMS that we're doing in conjunction with Clearstream is very important as well. And that is going to be really key for us to mobilize and automate the collateral pieces. So really on a simplistic basis, the ability to sell out of an account and the ability to auto substitute, even in a reuse chain and bring the assets back is something that should happen in minutes and not hours. And that's something that certainly we think is going to be a huge enabler into the market. Just going to T plus zero, Steve, and I'm sure being in that digital world, like many things may not surprise you in terms of capabilities and abilities to make things happen quickly. I mean, years ago, I mean, I would say pre-pandemic, I think I read an article about addressing retail lending, for example, but using blockchain technology for sort of that instantaneous, like never mind T1, T0, but an instantaneous transfer of assets and lending from one to another. And just on a larger scale, is that something as we, I guess, evolve with technology and as we move closer with more pressure for that to close that timeline, is something like that in terms of using, whether it be blockchain technology, which I won't pretend to understand, is that something that is feasible? Yeah, it's always got to be fit for purpose, right? So certainly the distributed ledger technology is really useful where you want to get away from reconciliations. On the type of volume we see from securities lending, it's not a bad use case for distributed ledger. I think one of the biggest challenges is it's always an ecosystem. So plugging in DLT has to interoperate with the real world, if I put it in that way. So that's always the biggest challenge when we introduce a net new technology is the ability to be able to speak the language of the rest of the ecosystem and bringing everyone along at the same time. That's always the biggest challenge. And even in T plus one, one of the biggest findings that we started to have very early on was you've got some very sophisticated firms that could be on like a DLT and you've got many that are still on facts. And how do you bring those two elements together? So from a central perspective or market infrastructure perspective, that's been a big question for us and the ability to interoperate with different systems and being able to still bring new technology and make us competitive and reduce the risk and all of those elements. So DLT is actually a great use case for securities lending. It allows the tracking, reduces reconciliation, allows for locates, as an example, pretty quickly. I think the the challenge there is being able to do it wholesale in a market, and it needs to be able to speak very seamlessly to the rest of the settlement ecosystem and what's happening around it. So I think that there is scope, particularly for certain use cases, to look at, at distributed ledger, particularly in securities lending, but that interoperability layer. So from a TMX perspective in post-trade, we have actually invested quite a bit in that interoperability layer in the last 12 months, the ability to be able to speak to any client, whether that be a borrower, a lender, a broker, a custodian, in the language it needs, when it needs. So that means that in one, we could be speaking in a SWIFT format. The other one, we could be speaking in a digital API. This becomes very important effectively as a language translation tool between systems. Because one of the things that we see with the CCMS and we see it with DLT is that systems need to be able to talk to systems seamlessly. As soon as we jump in and have to modify anything, that's where risk and operational risk comes in. One I can mention is along the lines of T plus one, there's some challenges in the private markets area around T plus one. And we are investigating some solutions around digital that really work quite well in that space. And again, it's always an ecosystem play. It's bringing the industry together to be able to understand it. But in a way that 
we can bring everyone along in the process. So that's something that we've also got cooking from an investigation perspective as to how we can potentially solve some of those challenges within the Canadian market. Yeah, you talk about systems that puts a lot of pressure on all the participants and firms involved in the industry to really focus on growing that technology, making sure they have updated systems, making sure that they talk to each other. You know, as you continue, like you keep saying systems, and I'm just thinking about the number of passwords I'm about to have <laughs> as we implement more systems. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Passwords and screens, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many screens can we fit on the desk? <laughs> can always build up to the ceiling, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, really interesting stuff here. I mean, I think we're probably nearing time. Really appreciate having you here, Steve, and giving your insights and talking through such an important topic that is close to everybody at this stage of the game. Yeah, pleasure to be here and certainly to share some of these. A lot of what I've discussed is either in flight or in really the early stages of what we're working with, particularly around T plus one, but certainly very excited to see the rollout of a bunch of these things, such as the Canadian Collateral Management Service. And thank you so much for the time to be able to chat about some of these. And we'd certainly love to do this again, particularly as some of these evolve over the next six to 12 months. I just wanted to say, as we're doing this call, I'm looking at my desk here. I have this photo of us at the TMX on November 29th, for the audience who didn't know. He was a big part in supporting us in the TMX to host us, Women in Sick Finance, the Toronto chapter, to open the market that day, which was quite an exciting day for us to celebrate our five-year milestone. So just knowing that you know, we have the support of a large institution like TMX was just quite meaningful to us. So thank you for that as well. Absolutely. We're delighted to do it and let's do it again for sure. MJ and I are also board members of CASLA, as the audience may or may not know. And if you haven't already seen in your inbox, May 25th is our date this year for our annual conference located in Toronto. If any of you would like to hear more about TMX and their work and extend their discussion on T plus one, we will have Steve, TMX, and Clearstream in an afternoon session on that day. So please join us on May 25th in Toronto. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. And a big thank you to our featured speakers from this episode. And of course, all the active Women in Securities Finance members that are driving real change in our marketplace today. If you have ideas for future episodes or would like to get involved, please visit our website or you can contact Women in Securities Finance via LinkedIn. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, you can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters and do not reflect the views or opinions of their respective employer organizations. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal, tax, or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. 